Back in February of 1989, U.S. Army decided to send me to a place called Würzburg, Germany, and I was stationed there for just over two years, and I see many of you doing the math in your heads right now. 1989, that means Scott is 32. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but being so young at the time, I didn't really realize the significance historically of what was happening when I was there. But while I was there, I was able to witness just the most incredible thing. I got there in February of 89, and in November of 1989, that year marked the beginning of the fall of the Berlin Wall. And I was actually able to visit the city of Berlin as the wall was being demolished, and I got to see part of that history in the making. But the Berlin Wall was really something to behold. I mean, it was amazing. It was built in 1961, and it was an incredible sight to see. It was very colorful because people had painted graffiti all over, at least on the west side of it. And this historic wall that divided countries was quite a sight. It was only 18 inches thick. Only about 18 inches thick and about 12 feet high, the Berlin Wall was roughly 96 miles long. 15 inches thick, 12 feet high, roughly 96 miles long. This long stretch of concrete and wire fencing with over 300 guard towers on it around the city of Berlin alone. Along the eastern side of the wall, there were over 55,000 anti-personnel explosive devices. And I can remember one time, as my unit was on a field exercise further south and west of Berlin, we approached the border between east and west Germany. And as we approached it, several of the people from my unit and I were sitting in the back of a cargo truck, and we were able to get close enough to the border that we could actually see the armed guards who were sitting in the guard towers on the other side of the wall. And I can remember as I sat there in the back of the truck, for some reason, it was just almost this surreal moment for me as I sat there in the back of this truck looking at those armed men there on the wall in the guard towers. And I was thinking to myself, there they are. For the last two years, I've been training how to deal with those men. And now for the first time, I'm seeing them with my own eyes. There they are. That is the enemy that I've seen pictures of. That is the enemy that I've heard so much about. That is the enemy that I've been training all of these years to fight. That's them. And this is my first view of them. But from my vantage point, as I was looking at them in the tower, I could see a border wall. I could see wire all over the wall. I could see these guard towers. Beyond the wall, I could see a dog run where they had dogs running along the track there to guard the wall. I could see a couple of bunkers. And just on the other side of the wall, there they were. I mean, here they are. They were that close to me, just a few yards away. On the other side of the wall, here are the bad guys. I've been training all my military career to finally confront these people, and there they were, sitting on a wall. But this wasn't the Berlin Wall. Because the Berlin Wall was, you know, hundreds of miles away up to the north and to the east. Yet the border wall that I was looking at was a product of the ideology that had created the Berlin Wall. This wall that I was looking at was a product of the ideology that had created the Berlin Wall. You see, the Berlin Wall had created a huge divide. Not only did it divide East and West Berlin, it also divided East and West Germany. And not only that, it also divided the Eastern Europe from Western Europe. Did you know that? It was the ideology that the, it was what the wall stood for. It divided nations. It divided people. It divided ideologies. This wall separated the good guys from the bad guys in my mind. 
You know, that's exactly what walls are intended to do, aren't they? Isn't that the point of walls? Kids, walls are designed to separate. Walls are designed to separate. We place them around the borders of nations to create separation from other nations. We put them around prisons to create separation between convicts and free people, don't we? And I'm thankful for those walls. We put them around our neighborhoods and our houses to keep our families and our neighbors separate from everyone else in our communities. That's what they do. Why? Because we want to stay separate from other people. We want our people to be separate from theirs. That's what walls do. Walls are intended to create division. They're intended to create separation. And man has known that for years. You know parts of the Great Wall of China were actually constructed as early as the 5th and 8th centuries B.C.? Did you know that? Some portions of the wall of China are that old, but man knows how to separate me from them, doesn't he? We know how to create separation. And the Jews of the time of Christ were no different than anybody else. In fact, I've got a picture I want to show you here. This is the the temple of Herod at the time of Christ. This is a picture of what is known as Herod's temple. This is obviously the Jewish temple at the time of Herod in Jerusalem, which would have been the one that was present at the time of Christ. I want you to look at this for a second. Access to this temple was increasingly restricted as you moved toward the center, as you moved closer to the taller and centermost portion of the temple there known as the Holy of Holies. That place to the top and left there, that's the Holy of Holies. But as you got closer, it became more and more restrictive, and it got harder and harder to get there. The Holy of Holies is where the thick temple curtain was that was torn, you know, at the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. But outside those large walls that you see there, outside of those large walls, was what was known as the Court of the Gentiles. It's on the outside there. And anybody could go into the Court of the Gentiles. Anybody who wanted to go there could go into that area. Next, moving toward the center, was what was known as the Court of the Women. All Jewish men and all Jewish women, all duly processed proselytes were allowed to be in that area. Beyond that was what was known as the court of the men or the court of the Levites. And access there was restricted to Jewish males. Only the Jewish men could be there. Only the men were allowed to be there. And beyond the next wall was what was known as the court of the priests. And then in the Holy of Holies, of course, only the high priests were allowed. But you see the series of walls here in this temple that was built to separate and to restrict access. The idea was to keep people from getting beyond the borders that had been established for them. And to do that, what did they use? They used walls. That's how they did it. The series of walls were designed to keep non-Jews as far from the Holy of Holies as possible. As you know, God had chosen the Jewish people to be His people from the very beginning. He chose them out of His own sovereignty and He said, these are going to be My people. And then He chose them out and He separated them out from all of the people of the world. He gave them laws that would cause them to be peculiar. He gave them laws and restrictions that would make them different from everyone else. He gave them special dietary laws. He gave them special laws with regard to their dress. He gave them special standards of moral conduct. He gave them special standards of of worship. He set them apart and he gave them all kinds of restrictions and laws and rules that were intended to make them different. They were intended to make those people peculiar. Those rules were intended to make those people stand out from all of the people around them. But I want you to know it was not God's intent 
to separate Israel and to make them unique and to bless Israel so that Israel could be blessed. That wasn't the point, was it? That is not the reason that he made them unique. You see, God had chosen them out from among all of the people of the world and he had called them to be unique so that they could show to the rest of the world the way to God. That was the whole idea. They were supposed to show the way to God. It was God's redemptive plan that through Israel, the rest of the world may be blessed. Kids, Isaiah 43, 21 tells us that he formed them. He formed his people for himself that they might show forth his praise. That's why he did it. That they might show forth his praise so that the whole world could look to this nation praising God and exalting God and they could say, we want to do what they're doing. They're unique. They're peculiar. God has always wanted to reach and save the world and it was his design to do that through Israel. That was his design from the very beginning. But what happened? Was it rather than saying to the rest of the world, hey, look, this is what makes us different. And rather than saying to the rest of the world, hey, we are different because we serve the one true God, because we serve the one God of Israel, what happened was the Israelites became proud of their unique status. They became proud of their peculiarity. They became proud to be different. And then what they did was they built walls to keep everyone else out. Do you see that? They built walls to keep everyone else from getting too close to their God. They built walls to keep everyone else away because they despised the notion that someone other than a Jew would actually serve God. They despised that thought. Have you ever heard the name Jonah? What was Jonah's problem? You remember him. What did he say? He was so disgusted by the thought of a Ninevite worshiping God that he actually said, I'd rather be dead than to have some Ninevite worship my God. That was his take. That's how he felt about the Gentiles. So listen, because of their uniqueness, because of their exclusivity, the Gentiles hated the Jews. The Gentiles hated the Jews, and the Jews then in turn hated the Gentiles. They saw each other as dogs. They saw each other as less than humans. There was no peace between the two of them. There was constant conflict. There was constant struggle. And so the Jews then built walls to keep them away from their God. The Jews built walls to keep the Gentiles away. Now, with that in mind, I'm going to take you to our portion of Scripture for today. For those of you who may be new or visiting with us, we take what we call an expository and a sequential approach to the study of Scripture. And what that means is that we start at the beginning of a book and we preach our way all the way through it, endeavoring to keep it in its proper historical and grammatical context. And right now we're in the book of Ephesians. We've made it all the way to Ephesians chapter 2. And we're going to begin with verses 11 and 12 here with the context that I've just set for you. And this is what it says. Therefore... Remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and you were strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Did you know that's all of us? Did you know that that's each and every single one of you who are here this morning? Remember what we said in chapter 2? Remember where we've been? 
Verse 1 tells us that we were completely dead in our sins. We were completely dead in our trespasses. We were spiritually lifeless. We were completely unable to respond to any stimulus. You were just walking around doing the things that the world does. You were walking through the course of this world doing all the same things that spiritually dead people do. That's what you were doing. You were following the desires of your body. You were following the desires of your mind. You were doing whatever you felt like doing and you were absolutely insensitive to absolutely every spiritual thing and everything that comes from God. That's what you were. You were dead. And Paul says to the Ephesians, that's who you Ephesians were. Remember that, Ephesians? That's who you were. You were dead Gentiles. You did not have God. You did not know God. You were far away from God. You served a bunch of non-gods. Back in the book of Deuteronomy in chapter 4, God had warned the Israelites about serving false gods and falling into the temptation of worshiping false gods like the nations around them. And he said, if you turn from me to the other gods, I'm going to scatter you around the world. And this is what he says in verse 28. And there you will serve gods of wood and stone, the work of human hands that neither see nor hear nor eat nor smell. So Paul is reminding the Ephesians, that's who you were. You in the Ephesian church, that's who you were. You used to make things out of wood with your own hands. You used to make things out of stone with your own hands. And then you would call those things that you had made God. And you would bow down to those things that you had made. And you would worship those things. Those things were stupid. They couldn't see. They couldn't hear. They had no thoughts. They were absolutely nothing. You didn't have the Old Testament. You didn't follow the law. You had no dietary restraints. You dressed like a bunch of godless heathens. You had no moral barometer. You had no way to know how to fill the righteous requirements of the law. And then those laws were given to the Jews, to the circumcised people, and we shared those with you. That's what he's saying. We decided we were going to share those with you. You were not even a people. You were dogs. You had no connection to the God of Israel. You were completely outcast. You were completely separate. You had absolutely no hope. You just stumbled along in abject spiritual poverty and darkness. You just stumbled along doing whatever the rest of the world does. That's what you Ephesians used to be. That's who you were. And over the course of the last few weeks, we've learned that that's who we were, haven't we? Isn't that what we did? Isn't that who we were? But who? But God. But God. I want you to remember that, and I want you to plug that into the beginning of verse 13 as we get there. We've learned over the last three chapters, for those of you who are visiting with us, we've learned that the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians tell us who we are in Christ. And I want you to see what God has done here. Look at verse 13. But now, in Christ, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. There's something very important that I want you to see here, okay? Very, very important that I want to show you. Verse 13 says that you who were once far off, now listen, have been brought near. This is from the Greek verb ginomai, and the attic would be gignomai, and it means to become, which is, this is very important, listen to this, it is in what they call the aorist passive indicative. And I know that you're thinking, who cares? But listen, you're going to care. It's in the aorist passive indicative. So a better way for us to translate that here would be to make it sound like this. You have been made to become close. Do you see that? 
You have been made to become close. You didn't do anything. You were dead. You couldn't do anything. You were unable to respond to any stimulus. You were dead in your sin. You were a non-people. You were far off from God. But now God, in Christ, kids, brought you near to Him through the blood of Jesus Christ. He brought you near to Him through the blood of Jesus Christ. But who? But God, but the grace of God in verse 8, which gave you enough faith to believe in Jesus Christ. But God, not you, not your own good works as we saw last week, not your piety, not your cleverness, but God gave you the gift of faith so that you would have enough faith that you might be able to believe, that you might be able to be made able to come near to Him. Do you understand that? He gave you the faith that you needed to exercise to make you having been brought near. Does that make sense? He initiated it. He cared so much that He reached out to you. You were dead in your sin, lifeless, a non-people. And in Christ, He made you alive. And He made you to become near to Him. You did nothing about it. When the wall came down in Berlin, they hired government contractors that would destroy the wall. They were demolishing the wall. But along with some of those government contractors, there were many people that they used to call Mauerspekte. The literal translation would be wall woodpecker. So they were people who would come along with hammers and chisels and they would start chipping away at the wall themselves. Because for whatever reason, they couldn't wait for the government contractors to knock the walls down. So here come these people who decide they're going to take matters into their own hands. I don't know, maybe they felt like people weren't moving fast enough to suit them. Maybe they just wanted to see it all come down, I don't know. But they felt like they had to chip in. So they come up to the wall, and they've got their little hammers, and they've got their chisels, and they're plugging away at that wall, and they're tapping away, and they're pecking away at it. And what happened through the, through the course of them doing this was that they had created a bunch of smaller openings in the wall so that people could pass through. They weren't big enough to drive cars or trucks or anything like that through, but they were just big enough that people could pass through these walls. And then many of the Mauerspecter would take the chunks of the wall and they'd sell them to tourists like me, and, and they made a lot of money. <laughs> but listen, less than a year after the destruction of the wall had begun, less than a year, in October of 1990, East and West Berlin and East and West Germany were unified, officially. And now, as you know, there's not East Germany and West Germany. There's what? There's Germany. There's a unified Germany. There's one Germany. There's peace. There is peace. There is unity. Those who were once far off, those who once stood on the east side of the wall, beyond the confines of the wall, those who once stood beyond the confines of the fencing, beyond the confines of the anti-personnel mines, beyond the guard towers, beyond the dog runs, those people were now near those who were in the west. They were able to just walk right through and they were able to be near to those of us who were on the west. They could just go right through the holes in the wall thanks to the Mauerspekte. So now there's no east and there's no west. Berlin, there's just... Berlin. There's no East and West Germany. There's just Germany. I'm going to take you to verse 14 of Ephesians 2. And this is what it says. Listen closely. For He Himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in His flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of the commandments and ordinances that He might create in Himself one new man in place of the two and so making peace. 
For who himself? Who is that? Well, the antecedent for the pronoun here in verse 14 is found in verse 13 where it says, in Christ. So it is Jesus Christ himself. Paul says, it is Christ himself who is our peace. It is Christ himself who has broken down the wall. It is Christ himself who has removed all of the obstacles that has kept you Gentiles from coming near. The commandments of the law and the ordinances, friends, were just like the fencing and the mines and the guard towers and the dog runs that kept all of us from coming near to him. But Christ himself has broken down the wall and by perfectly fulfilling the righteous requirements of the law, he has already removed the obstacles. He has already removed all the barriers that kept us from having peace and unity. Listen, the Gentiles no longer need to be restricted from access to the holy place. All of the walls around the temple came down. We no longer needed the walls. There was no reason for the temple to have any walls anymore. People could come and they could go as they please. Do you understand, my friends, the implications of what Christ has done for the Gentiles who are far off? Do you understand what that means to us? Because he knocked down the wall, because he removed all of the obstacles that he says in Galatians 3.28, listen, there is now neither Jew nor Greek. There is now neither slave nor free. There is now neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ. Because he knocked down those walls, you are all now one in Christ. Listen to me. In the church of Jesus Christ, there is no east. There is no west. There is one church. It is a united church. There are no Jews. There are no Greeks. There are no men. There are no women. There are only those by virtue of the destruction of the separating wall made possible in the blood of Jesus Christ who have been made to have been brought near to Jesus Christ. One church. It's one church. There are no malrespecta in the church. We don't need people chipping away by their own effort, by their own wisdom, by their own skill and their own ability trying to knock down the dividing wall. Jesus Christ already did it. The wall is gone. We don't need malrespecta. You can't do anything to earn proximity to God. He's already taken down the wall. All you got to do is walk in. There are none who, through their own generosity, through their own effort, through their own kindness, can make peace within the body of Christ. Listen closely. There are none who can do that. It is only through the blood of Jesus Christ that each of us have, in the passive tense, already been made to have been brought near to Him. You're already there. We didn't do anything. And only the blood of Jesus Christ has made that possible for us. And only the blood of Jesus Christ has created one unified and peace-filled body. I'm going to take you to verse 16 now, if we could do that quickly. It says this, "...and might reconcile both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility." So listen, so in Christ, hostility is killed within the body. Do you see that here? Listen, kids. In Christ, we are one body. You hear that, friends? This is super important for you to get. In Christ, we are one body, and the hostility has been killed. The hostility is already dead. At the moment, I want you to know this, that you come to faith in Jesus Christ and become a member of the family, the Holy Spirit takes up residence inside of you, and you become a member of the body. Now, in a short time, we're going to make it to Ephesians chapter 4, and when we get there, you're going to see Paul urging us to, listen, he says, maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. 
Paul says we want you to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Paul says through your faith in Jesus Christ, you are one body. And the Holy Spirit has already created unity within the body. So once you are made to have been brought near, and the Holy Spirit has taken up residence in you, there is now peace in the body. That seems weird, doesn't it? How many bodies do you know where there don't seem to be a lot of peace? There is peace in the one body through the Holy Spirit. The problem is that we just don't maintain it. The problem is we don't maintain the unity. We don't maintain the bond of peace that the Holy Spirit has already given us. The peace and the unity are already there, and all we need to do is stop messing it up. Well, I mean, how is it possible for us to mess up unity and peace in the body? We need to stop doing the things, my friends, listen, that cause disruptions. We need to stop in the body of Christ doing things that cause quarrels. We need to stop doing the things that cause fights in the body of Christ. And what are those? Take a look at James 4.1. What causes quarrel and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, and so you murder. You covet, which means that you desire to have something that you can't have. You covet and you cannot obtain, so you do what? You fight and you quarrel. Basically, James says, look, you want something and you don't get your own way. You don't get what you want, and so what you do is you fight and you quarrel and you act like a bunch of babies. Things didn't go your way, so now you're going to argue and you're going to fight. Listen, kids, I want you to get this. And not only kids, all of you. This is so important. It is wrong for us to fight and to argue when we don't get what we want. It is wrong for us to fight and to argue when we don't get what we want. Ultimately, friends, what results from that type of behavior is that you become so upset and that you have been so mistreated, you become so upset of your mistreatment that you become so disappointed that you don't get what you wanted, you didn't get what you wanted, and your heart was set on this thing and you didn't get it, and now the result of that is you are offended and you then build a wall within your own church body. Did you hear that? The result of you getting so upset, the result of you getting so put out that you didn't get your own way, is going to cause you, the result of that, to build a wall, if it were possible, right here in the unified body of Jesus Christ. You try to shut out the people who have offended you. You try to shut out of your heart the people who are sitting next to you because you're upset that you didn't get your own way and you're convinced that they're far off. And so you build a wall and you keep them away from you. Did you know that that's what happens? I didn't like what she said to me. And so, I'm not inviting her to the woman's outing. That'll teach her. Right? I don't like the way he treated me. Things didn't go my way. And so now I'm going to argue. I'm going to fight. I didn't like what they said. I have a small doctrinal preference. And I didn't like the way you preached against it. I disagree with you doctrinally on a non-issue. Of course, non-issues. Things that are minor. And so because of that, I'm going to go off and I'm going to start my very own denomination. Is it any wonder that there are so many denominations in the Christian church that you can't even begin to count them all? Do you know why that is? It's because people are not maintaining the unity through the bond of peace. That's why it is. I don't like what they said. I don't like the way they comb their hair. 
I don't like the way they dress when they come to church. I don't like the songs that they sing. And so I'm going to go do my own thing. I'm going to build up a wall. And I'm going to keep those weirdos away from me. And me and my little family over here will be just fine without them. I'm going to go do my own thing because I'm offended. Look at verse 17. And He came and He preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through Him we both have access in one Spirit to the Father. Friends, you and your sinful quarreling brother and sister... You and your sinful, quarreling brother and sister both have access to the same Father. You and your quarreling brother and sister both have access to the same Father through the same Holy Spirit. Both of you, listen, both of you are sinners. I want you to know that. Both of you sinners have been made right before God because you both responded to the same preaching. You both responded to the same message of the same Jesus Christ. And that's what brought you peace. And that's what brought you near to Him. The Spirit continually is working to draw us close to God. And we, in our own sinful nature, when we don't get our way, when we don't get the things we want exactly when and how we want, we fight the unity of the Holy Spirit. We fight the bond of peace because we have not gotten our own way. We haven't gotten what we've longed for in our hearts. And essentially what you're doing is you're fighting the Holy Spirit. Do you understand that? You're not fighting with your brother and sister. You're fighting against the unity of the Holy Spirit. You're fighting against the work of the Holy Spirit in your lives. Do you understand that? Friends, this is such an important thing for you to get. If you insist in nurturing and perpetuating a squabble with a brother and sister, you are deciding within your own heart that you are going to resist and to fight against the work of the Holy Spirit. I mean, you're both sinners anyway. You both respond to the same message. Why would you want to fight the work of the Holy Spirit? Why would you want to fight the Holy Spirit? May I just encourage you with something really quickly? I just want you to, I want to encourage you with this. Listen closely. We want Root River Church to be a place where we maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace, don't we? Don't we want our church to be a church where we maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace? May I encourage you that if you've been offended, that you go out of your way to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace? May I encourage you to do that? May I ask that you forgive the offense and make reconciliation? May I suggest that you go ask for forgiveness yourself? I seriously, don't wait. Do it today. What are you waiting on? Why would there be a delay? How much longer will you fight the Holy Spirit? And I know that many people right now will say, well, wait a minute, Scott. I don't have anything to be forgiven for. He does. I don't know your situation. I'm sure you're probably right about that. But I want you to know that the Bible teaches if a brother or sister has something against you, even if you don't have something against them, what do you do? You reach out to them, don't you? You reach out to them in order to maintain the unity of the body and the bond of peace. That's what you do. May I ask that you not build walls inside a Root River church? I don't want a church that has a bunch of walls built by the people who go to church here. I don't want that kind of a church. Do you? Who wants that kind of division in our own body? Don't close other people in our church out. Why would you want to close out other people right here in this room? Why would you close them out? Why would you want to create obstacles for them? Why aren't you a unity keeper? Why don't you want to be a peacemaker? 
There is no place for fighting. There is no place for quarreling within the body of Christ. Why in the world would you want to fight against the work of the Holy Spirit? If you're doing that, I'm here to tell you right now, friends, you're committing sin. I just want you to know you're living in sin if that's what you're doing. Don't wait. Do it today. I want to move quickly now to share with you Paul's closing to his great discussion in Ephesians here. Chapter 2, verse 19. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. You know, in my home, my wife and my children belong. They belong there. It's a safe place for them. They can be exactly who they are, and they can feel like they're loved. And they know that they can feel like they're valued for exactly who they are when they're in our home. And there are very few things that upset me as much as when the fellow members of my household treat one another as if they're not loved and not valued in their very own home. We're all members of the Harms family, biologically. But what really makes our family an intimate group, and what really makes our family what it is, is that we have a common basis of values and experiences. You see, we have in our house traditions. We have in our families traditions that we teach and that we share with our children. We have jokes in our family that only the people of our family would laugh at. We're the only ones who would get it. No one else is going to appreciate them. There's certain things that we do that would seem like foolishness to everybody else. And if I told you some of the jokes that we laugh at, you would think we were foolish. Beth and I were just talking about that very thing yesterday. But listen, no one else is able to understand and appreciate to the same extent that we do the traditions, the values, the upbringing that we have right here within the confines of our own home. Nobody else can appreciate it the way that we do. And that's what makes the Harms family really unique. We would welcome you to our family if you want to come, but you're going to feel a little bit, you know, you're not going to get all of the jokes. You're not going to get all of the inside baseball. You're probably not going to get it all. We would welcome you, and we're glad to have you there. But we're a cohesive family unit, and we live in relative peace and unity because of those things. Now listen, no matter your background, no matter what your upbringing, every single one of you who is in this room right now was far off from God, and He now has taken you who were outcasts. He has now taken you who were non-people. He has taken you who were dead in your sins, and He has made you living members of His household. You belong there, and the brother and sister that you're quarreling with belongs there too. The teachings and the doctrines of the apostles and the prophets, the instruction of Jesus Christ are the common values that we share as a church family that creates our DNA. That's what makes us who we are. That's what makes us unique. These are the things that the rest of the world look at us inside this church body and, and they can't appreciate about our church family. Those are the things that they don't get. The rest of the world looks at us and they say, man, that's stupid. That's foolish. That's foolishness. We are joined together in Jesus Christ. We are joined together in Jesus Christ. Do you understand? We are joined together in Jesus Christ into this cohesive family unit and we must live in peace. We must live in unity. Why would you fight the Holy Spirit in your own family? Why would you build walls in your own family to keep other members of your family out? Would you restrict access in your home to any of the members of your family? 
Would you restrict access to any of the people who live in your family? No, it's a safe place for them, isn't it? And so in closing, I want to show you why that's so important. Take a look at verse 22. In Him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, friends, is forming you and He is crafting you into a pure and holy dwelling place for Almighty God. Do you see that? He's crafting you and He is developing you and forming you into a pure dwelling place for the Almighty God. He is building you and transforming you into a vessel that's suitable for the presence of God. He's trying to turn you into something that is suitable for the presence of the Almighty God, a place for Him to live. Do you really want God to live in a run-down body with graffiti-covered walls? Is that what you want? Do you really want God to live in a church filled with foolish fighting? Do you really want God to live in a church with foolish quarrels among you just because you didn't get what you wanted? Just because your own selfish desires were not fulfilled? Is that really what you want? Do you really want to invite God into a living room that has that kind of a graffiti-covered wall in it? Is that really what you want? Is that the best that you can do for God, this quarreling and fighting among your own brothers and sisters? Is that the very best that you can do for God? I wonder, as the Holy Spirit examines our church body, as He passes through and He looks at us, from one side of the building to the other side of the building, He passes among us. Is He able to stop and say, how lovely is Your dwelling place? O Lord of hosts, it's suitable for You. That's what I want right here in this church body, don't you? Isn't that what you really want? The Holy Spirit to be able to say of Root River Church. Father, I thank You that You've torn down the walls that have kept us far off. I thank You, God, that through the blood of Jesus Christ, we've been made to have been brought near to You. I thank You for a love that is so far-reaching that it has pursued me beyond walls, that has pursued me beyond boundaries and obstacles and has made me to come near to You that I could live in your presence as a unified and peaceful member of your body. And so, God, I just pray that you will mend relationships that are broken today. I pray that you will challenge hearts that are stuck in patterns of sinful and selfish behaviors to repent, and that you would challenge those hearts to live and maintain the unity of the peace that is created by your Holy Spirit. I pray that now in Jesus' name. Lord, I just pray that you would examine Root River Church pray that you would look closely at Root River Church today, and I pray that you would show us if there be any attitude or any selfish desire that's creating disunity among us. I pray that you would make that clear to us. Transform Root River Church, I pray, into a lovely dwelling place for you, Lord. In Jesus' name.